and welcome to another MLEX podcast. I'm Amy Miller, MLEX's Senior Privacy and Data Security Reporter in San Francisco, California. As soon as the new Republican majority on the FCC voted in 2018 to discard Obama-era rules that treated fixed and wireless consumer broadband services as a more closely regulated common carrier service, a court fight was inevitable. Opponents immediately sued to block the FCC's move. More than six months later, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit heard oral arguments this week in Washington, D.C. Mike Swift, MLEX's Chief Global Digital Risk Correspondent, was in D.C. covering the hearing. Hi, Mike. Hey, Amy. So it was a really long uh, hearing, very long oral arguments, almost five hours, right? Uh, It was uh, a test of attrition, that's for sure. (laughs) Yeah, it was a long one. Uh, And uh, they had very hard wooden benches, which didn't make it any easier. So, But uh, um, it was very interesting, no doubt about that. It was a fun experience. So um, I'm I'm, uh, looking forward to talking about it. Well, what's at stake here? What are the petitioners hoping to accomplish? So their goal is really to um, essentially set back the clock to 2015 when the FCC during the Obama administration uh, decided that consumer broadband service needed to be regulated like a public utility, basically. And Mm -hmm. that way they could set up specific rules that would guarantee net neutrality. You could have a specific rule against throttling, against blocking content, or against um, paid prioritization where, um, you know, your local internet service provider would charge a fee to Netflix or YouTube in order to get uh, increased speed of, of data transmission. So the goal of, of that order was to put, that, put those rules in place. Last year, the uh, Republican-led FCC made a judgment that um, those rules and the stricter regulation was slowing down uh, investment in broadband infrastructure. And so they, they basically um, discarded those rules and went more back to uh, light touch regulation. So the, the goal of this, um, this hearing is to really go back to tighter regulation of internet services. Mm. Well, let's, let's break that down a little bit more. Um, what, what were the key arguments for why the FCC's Restoring Internet Freedom Order that reversed the Obama-era rules was unlawful? There's about five key arguments, right? That's right, yeah. Um, so the first one is that um, the Republican FCC said that because your internet service is connecting to a website, which is uh, classified as an information service, uh, more lightly regulated uh, under federal law, that the whole connection is therefore an information service and needs to be more lightly regulated. So that was the first um, argument that the FCC was wrong to say that the data transmission component of an internet connection and the stuff you do on a website once you get there are inextricably linked. Mm-hmm. That was that was the Republican uh, FCC argument for why it's an information service. Um, the second argument was that in making this change, the FCC has said, okay, we're going to um, turn over to the Federal Trade Commission the power to regulate consumer broadband services. And the FTC can use its antitrust powers or it can use its consumer protection powers to do that regulation. The second argument is that the FCC failed to even study uh, how that would work and whether right. antitrust or consumer protection law would work. 
The third argument was that uh, the Republican FCC relied on a section of the Communications Act called Section 257. And this is a section of the law that basically says that the FCC should do whatever it can to eliminate market entry barriers for entrepreneurs and other small businesses. But a portion of Section 257 was actually repealed right before um, the FCC ruled and relied on it. So hmm. the argument is like if part of Section 257 no longer exists, how can you rely on it to as the basis for uh, for making this change? Um, so that that's a bit more legalistic argument, but it's an right. interesting one. Um, the fourth one was that the FCC has an uh, obligation under the law to look at public safety and how it regulates communications and that um, there could be an impact on public safety in making this change. For example, there were allegations last summer during the California wildfires that mm -hmm. uh, Verizon had throttled uh, the internet connections, the wireless connections of some firefighting fire departments and mm -hmm. That uh, specific instance didn't come up in the oral arguments the other day, but the general question of, you know, could there be, did the FCC properly study whether there could be a risk to public safety of this change? That That's an allegation being made that they failed to do that. And then the, the fifth and last argument that they the, the um, petitioners were pushing was that the FCC was about state preemption, basically. Part mm -hmm. of this order says um, that the states cannot go against what the FCC is doing in rolling back these regulations. But um, the argument by the petitioners is um, that the FCC basically made this change because they said, uh, we, the FCC, do not have the authority to uh, classify consumer broadband uh, as a telecommunication service. We lack the legal authority to do that. And so the argument by the petitioners is, well, if you lack the legal authority, how can you take away the authority of the states to act in this area? Right. So if, if federal power is being withdrawn, how what's the basis for saying that the states also have to withdraw their regulatory powers here. So Almost if no um, one would be in charge of regulating. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so those were the five key arguments. And the three judges took about two and a half hours to basically listen to the petitioners make each of those five arguments in hmm. turn. Well, which arguments seem to resonate most with the judges? They, they didn't really have much appetite for the Section 257 argument. Mm. They, they talked about it a little bit. Um, I think they were there were sort of two areas they really seemed to seize upon. And one was that um, the allegation that uh, the FCC failed to even study like whether antitrust law or consumer protection law would adequately protect uh, any abusive behavior uh, by an internet service provider. But the one they really seized on, I thought, was the public safety argument. Uh -huh. And um, this was an argument that was made by um, a young lawyer for Santa Clara County, California, you know, right, right in our neighborhood here. Mm -hmm. And she basically made the argument that, look, you know, the FCC by law must study the public safety ramifications of things that it does. And, you know, what if uh, under these new rules that are in place now, they start doing paid prioritization where they are, you know, charging fees to to get, uh, you know, faster data speeds? Mm -hmm. and what if your local fire department can't afford to pay those fees or, you know, the local city government can't uh, afford to pay those fees? 
And I was really watching the judges, and um, up until that point, they had been uh, basically interrupting the lawyers as they made their arguments. But um, as this lawyer, Danielle Goldstein, made this argument for Santa Clara County, they basically just listened, all three of them, just in silence, and really seemed to be taking it in. And they actually, I was noticing they were leaning forward in their chairs as really? she was making this argument. Yeah, it was visible. And especially Judge Millett, who um, was the most active questioner, but um, Judge Williams, who had the most aggressive questions. He was a Reagan era appointee and he didn't really seem to uh, think much of the other arguments, but he, I don't think he asked a single question about, um, you know, taking the public safety issue to task. So um, I thought that was really interesting and, and, you know, really made me wonder if, um, you know, ultimately they might rule on the basis of the public safety argument. Seems like an important argument to make, um, especially after all the fires we went through last year here in Northern yeah, California. That's um, for sure. Well, did they tip uh, their hands in any way for how they might rule? You know, I, I think uh, Judge Patricia Millett really did not seem to have a lot of uh, patience for the uh, the FCC argument. Mm. She really was quite aggressive. She she basically um, picked up the public safety argument um, after hearing it from the petitioner. She basically took that and just started throwing questions uh at Tom Johnson, who's the general counsel of the FCC, about hmm. pinning him down that uh, an ISP could charge these higher rates to a fire department. And, and couldn't that happen? And isn't there a risk of that happening? And he basically had to admit, yeah, they could do that. And so um, that, that really stuck out to me that uh, she basically was aggressively going after him. Um, judge Wilkins, who was the third judge, he was a, a lot more difficult to read. You know, he, He's probably the swing vote here, the mm-hmm. X factor. It seemed pretty clear that Williams would likely vote to affirm this order, that Millett might have voted to overturn it, but it was hard to read what Judge Wilkins would do. You know, uh, uh, we're going to have to wait and see, but um, I think he's really the X factor. Did they talk about at all or did the issue of whether or not the FTC could prosecute uh, companies or go after companies for this, uh, for throttling or this type of behavior, was that part of the discussion of whether or not the FTC had the authority to go after this? It's kind of interesting because I can't remember how many pages of documents, how many hundreds of pages, it seems, of documents uh, I've read about this yeah. argument. But when um, Tom Johnson, the um, the FCC's general counsel, got up there, he, he basically laid things out in a very simple way that that basically they said, look – we don't see any evidence at all that ISPs are trying to do any blocking or throttling. We don't think that's a realistic concern. Hmm. But we do think it's a big concern that there's been this slowdown in investment in broadband infrastructure. And so we we basically... We're choosing that um, the threat of an ISP blocking is is the lesser of two evils. That we we really think that uh, we need to to um, boost investment in in network development, and um, you know this is the way to do it by basically putting market forces back in the driver's seat. So kind of a classic you know ideological conservative uh, mm. argument. And uh, Judge Millett was really um, skeptical of that argument. Yeah. Skeptical, I think, of the um, the evidence that the FCC has that there's actually has been a slowdown. And she basically went after Johnson and said, wait a minute, all these ISP, the CEOs of all these uh, cable companies and wireless carriers set on earnings calls to their investors that 
back in 2015 when the open internet order passed, there's not going to be any impact on our investment. And she kept saying, well, they have to tell the truth, right? To Johnson and Johnson's like, well, yeah, they do. Mm-hmm. It's like, they, so they can't lie, right? So that mm-hmm. has to be true, right? Mm-hmm. And how do you explain that, Mr. Johnson? And it, you know, it was, it was, um, it was almost like a cross-examination that you'd see of a, you know, a ho- uh, of a hostile witness, you know, in, in a trial. You know, you always wonder like whether it, uh, an appeals court judge is basically, you know, sort of of uh, setting up the straw man to knock it down, right? Right, and, and, right. And playing devil's, playing advocate. devil's advocate. Yeah. Right. But there was one point where I was watching the clock because we couldn't bring our computers in there. So the only way you could tell time was by watching the clock on the wall. Uh, and she spent 30 minutes nonstop, basically just firing aggressive questions at the FCC people. And I was like, you know, I, I don't think I've ever seen an appellate court judge do that, hmm. like um, just firing tough question after tough question. So, yeah, it's hard for me to believe she's just playing devil's advocate. I guess we'll see. But um, I, I really think that she's quite hostile to uh, the Republican order. You know, yeah, we'll it sounds like she doesn't buy it at all. The FCC doesn't, it sounds that way to me. Yep. <laughs> yep. So there's a key principle in court reviews of decisions by federal agencies called the Chevron deference. Um, what is that and and how did that come into play? Can you kind of elaborate and explain sure. what that what means? So that, that's a Supreme Court decision from uh, the late 1980s uh, involving a case, I think it was between the Environmental Protection Agency and Chevron Oil. And basically it says that uh, a court, which is reviewing uh, an order by a federal agency, at, just at, like in this case, uh, in, in the case where um, uh, the federal statute is um, ambiguous, whether it's not clear, as it is in this case, that um, a court must basically defer to um, the expert analysis of the federal agency. And um, the FCC, in its written briefs, had really um, promoted that and basically said that, you know, unless uh, the court finds clearly that um, the FCC was uh, clearly deficient in in its analysis that, you know, you really have to defer to us in this case. And there was a little talk about Chevron deference, but it was pretty limited. I, you know, it was maybe 5% of the oral argument. Um, So I think that's an, maybe an ominous sign for the FCC and a positive one for the petitioners, but yeah, uh, that's how I would read it. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, the last thing, was there a lot of media coverage? Were there? It sounds like there was a lot of things going on in D.C. that day. Did you see anyone um, else famous there <laughs> in D.C.? Well, we had some We had some semi-famous people. Uh, we had a Senator, Ed Markey, was sitting right in front of me, and he actually, oh. believe it or not, lasted all the way through uh, the four and a half hours of oral argument and never left, uh, which I was kind of stunned to see. Um, there, uh, One commissioner, uh, Jessica Rosenworcel, was there. Um, there were a ton of reporters who were all grousing and have to cover having to cover this thing, <laughs> and, and they packed us into these little pews and they put eight people, so we couldn't even like move your elbows. It's like oh. I, it was, um, I, you know, the guys next to me. I got to know them a little bit better than I would have liked. <laughs> So, but they so any, anyway, um, so that was, and, but then um, there were all these TV cameras outside the courthouse and I, I, when I got there and I was like, wow, this is a lot of media for net neutrality. But uh-huh. when I came out, what, what actually was happening was Roger Stone, the uh, 
President Trump uh, uh, advisor was uh, about to make a court appearance after being indicted uh, by the by uh, the special prosecutor last week. So there were a whole bunch of uh, people wearing Richard Nixon T-shirts. Uh. <laughs> so, so we, uh, yeah, we all we're all talking about Richard Nixon in the snow outside the courthouse. It was quite quite a scene. Well, did you get to see him do his his, his Richard Nixon victory? Uh, uh, I, you know, I couldn't because I was, I had to file and deadline was approaching. So I was like, I reluctantly had to take off and I uh-huh. couldn't stick around for Roger Stone. So well. such is the life of a reporter. Well, yeah. thank you so much, Mike, for, for talking with us and sharing what you, what you were seeing there in the courtroom. Uh, again, that's Mike Swift, MLEX's Chief Global Digital Risk Correspondent. Make sure to come back often for future MLEX podcasts from Europe, Asia, and the Americas on regulatory and litigation issues around antitrust, trade, privacy and data security, and corruption. You can access our podcast from our website or subscribe through the SoundCloud app for iPhone or Android devices. I'm Amy Miller, MLEX's Senior Privacy and Data Security Reporter. Bye for now from San Francisco. Bye.